Hi, Dad. Hi, Celine. Did you know that you and I are about the same age if you count time living in the world? What do you mean? Well, as you know, I left a high-control religious group around the time you were born. So you're in your 20s then? <laughs> well, maybe in my head. The thing is, though, because I had all of my beliefs about morals, science, politics, religion, philosophy provided for me, I spent the last 25 years trying to work out what I should think about a whole bunch of stuff and work out what's going on. No one knows what's going on, Dad. <laughs> well, I think it's about time we did. What Should I Think About is a podcast that sets off on a lofty goal to make sense of the complicated, contradictory, confusing but wonderful thing we call the world. Hello and welcome to the What Should I Think About podcast. I'm Celine, And I'm Stephen. So, here we are again. To us it feels like here we are again because we're doing like one every day for the last few days because we're block recording. Um, to you guys, you're just like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Know. Just yeah, a weekly thing. Once a week, yeah. <laughs> but we feel like we're just talking to you non-stop. And you, you've been a bit off-piste, haven't you? You've um, you've tried to separate yourself a little bit I've been, from... I've been offline, and it's offline. been great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's been good. Um, So I've been, you know, I've put the... Obviously, I'm online now to record this, mm. but, like, basically, I've been turning my phone off and you turning it on once in the morning to, just, like, check things, like emails and texts, um and then I turn it off and I turn it sometimes I look at it again in the evening to see if there's any any text come through that I need to you know imminently deal with mm. or any emails and then I just turn it off again it's great yeah. uh the main thing is I've not been on Instagram and I've not been on Facebook and that's been good I've enjoyed mm. that because uh, too much time on the endless scroll yeah. you realize there's so much time to do things <laughs> I've I've read a book <laughs> it's been great yeah, it's very knitting. distracting. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, because it like you get sucked into the endless stream. I don't even mm. mind like watching YouTube content because I don't really watch that much telly. So I watch, mm. like, I don't watch a lot of, um, you know, just mindless um, TV scrolling. I don't do yeah. that because we don't have TV. We just have Netflix. So, mm. which is a bit feels a bit more purposeful when I go onto Netflix. It's because mm. I'm watching a particular show or watching a movie that I've chosen versus should we watch tv hmm. and now we will try and find something for the next like in um but yeah it's been nice um it feels a bit more purposeful i suppose also i just don't feel like my brain has been bombarded by people trying to get me <laughs> i've just been like goodbye <laughs> you can't get to me yeah and you told us of course um and i forgot that you told us so yeah at yeah. first we thought you were dead yeah <laughs> because the, i just said i was like this is this is what happens when you have when you're the only child they just go straight yeah. to dead where is she dead she's not answering and it's not delivered i know i found it quite funny uh, i did think that i was like if there's an actual emergency they know that they can get hold of thomas they know where i am yeah that's it and then um yeah anyhow let's it's move fine. on it was good that was good. I'm glad you. I'm glad you're having a bit of um, headspace. I think um, I'm going to continue it in some degree. Yeah, but I won't yeah. have it turned off necessarily. But I'm going to leave it in my room more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and vacate. <laughs> I think it's, um, if you let people know as well, um, and yeah. people get used to that, then then it's fine. It's just yeah. a, it's like replying to emails. I was always very 
clear to people at work that if you want a response straight away, then don't send me an email because it, it could be a day before I respond to an email. Emails, I always say this to my housemate, you don't you don't owe anyone an immediate response of an email. Nope. nope. Um, that it's two to three business days, mate. <laughs> exactly. That's <laughs> your service you in, level agreement. <laughs> yeah, I'll be seeing you in two to three business days yeah. with an email. Anyway, right, let's move on. So today it's my choice to, to talk about something. Um, and you decided you'd like to make it difficult for yourself. I do. It's, but it's something I've been wanting to talk about for a while, um, which is, I suppose what, what I call the cult wars. Um, and it's a war that's been raging. Um, it kind of gets hotter and colder at various points. I think it, it feels less hot at the moment, but every now and again, I stumble across something that surprises me or a response that surprises me. Um, and it tells me that this war is still, is still on. Do you have a um, side? Um, <laughs> I, I think I do. Yeah, I do have a okay. side, but I, I would like to, as, as is my nature and our nature, I think as a podcast, mm. um, I'd like to, kind of turn down the heat on the whole thing and just try to understand it a bit so i'm trying to see the whole thing from various perspectives so that's the idea of this podcast today um i'm i'm hesitant of doing it really because i know that that passions are very high on this subject so Mm. it bothers me a bit on the other hand it feels like it's a shame that we we kind of constantly have this these embattled sides really so what am i talking about yeah you've not actually said no what we know is you calling it cult wars you have a side yeah you're not going to necessarily state it um i'm I'm hedging um, (laughs) you like people um (laughs) you're a big fan yeah, so uh, the the point, um, I suppose, is when I started to do my research for uh, my dissertation, it was the first time I really come across this um, controversy. And that's, I suppose, a good place to start. And there was a paper that I read as part of my literature review and uh, prep for that dissertation, which was by an academic called Benjamin Zablocki. Yeah. And Benjamin Zablocki is... Anybody who has studied cults, high control groups, brainwashing, and so on, will know that name. So in that paper, and actually this is available to anyone, so I will put the link here. It was released in 1997, and this is my point, that it's this war is still, is still on. It's probably not quite as hot as it has been at times, but it is still there. And there was a, a section in there where he talks about, you know, the definition of cults and uh, this this battle between sociologists who call these groups new religious movements or NRMs and what is often called the helping industry or um, I suppose you know counseling and um, psychotherapists and so on who often use the term cults Plus, you've got a um, a group of researchers, academics who study what, what it's like to be in, in these groups, um, particularly when you leave. Um, I suppose the anti-cult 
group, if you like. So you, essentially, you've got this these two groups. You've got an anti-cult group, um, and you said, you know, do I have a side? If I have a side, I'm on that side. Mm-hmm. Of course I am. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a high-control group that I consider to be a cult. Um, I feel that it's um, it's got some features in it about it that mean it's dangerous and that it produces harm. Therefore, I'm in the anti-harm category. <laughs> you know, if you're going to take a side, that's the side. Then there's this other side who are sociologists, stroke, religious scholars. So these are people who specialize in understanding different religions and writing about them, commenting on them, I suppose, you know, from a sociological point of view, exploring them and uh, talking about them, writing books and so on. And they don't like the term cult. They prefer the term new religious movement. So you have this this straight away, this um, this division between those who talk about cults and those who talk talk about NRMs. Mm. Um, and so that's at the heart of it, I suppose. But but underneath there is you know a lot to talk about, and it's really hard to get into this conversation. Um, but mean, that's that's basically the, the straight heart away. Of it. If if let's say we create a um a word cloud <laughs> um yes. the first words that come to my head when you say nrm is like apologist or yeah and things like that do you know what i mean if someone was like you know how um, the word clouds were like if you get loads of people to um give their input into it the biggest word is the one that's been suggested the most and the smallest is the least mentioned yeah. um yeah i feel like apologists would come up quite high in our I think listenership and um, certainly generally um, in the yeah. in the arena. Um, I think that's that's possibly because of this this fact that we we find ourselves, and by we I mean anybody that's interested in this phenomenon, um, we find ourselves in two camps, you know, mm-hmm. or we find ourselves in what actually is quite interesting because the paper which I've heavily marked up for my own use um talks about a culture war (laughs) which is so interesting because of course that's had a modern whole new meaning i mean this is this is going back to as i said the late 90s and yet we're now talking about culture wars all the time and but this is he also talks about the um the danger of blacklisting certain people for not accepting this nrm uh, new religious movement uh, language, um, but yes, you're right. I think um, I think our listeners would would look at NRMs and think, well, people who use that term are just apologists. But I would say that in itself, there's nothing wrong with that term. Um, mm. It is it, it is descriptive. Um, but my my problem with it, and I do want to get into it in more detail and be fair to the whole idea behind it but my problem with the idea of nrms is calling what is a damaging let's avoid the word cult for now but calling an organization that is damaging that restricts people's choices that essentially stops them from leaving through all sorts of um, underhand ways that coercively controls people Calling an organization that does those things a new religious movement is a bit like calling a burglar 
a visitor to your home. Mm. It's like missing the point entirely. It's, <laughs> it's saying too it's true. Mm. Yeah, it's true. Technically, it's true. Of course, if a burglar is a visitor to your home, but that's not the point. That's not why you're bothered mm. um, about this person coming into your home. It's because they're there to do something that is underhand and obviously you don't want them to do so for me that's the problem with it it's it's such a neutral term that okay we can start there if you like but um as a as a catch-all title for religions groups that came around in the last century the last two centuries okay we can go on that but actually, that's not really what anybody cares about. Well, I certainly don't. And I don't think many do. Mm. There might be some people that worry because it's new, it's going to be bad. But I think most people don't really care about the newness of it. The thing that we worry about are the practices, mm. are the way that people are treated. And in that big umbrella term of NRMs, I'm sure there will be some new religious movements who are perfectly fine don't actually do any of the things we're talking about. So it's a subsection of that that I think us anti-cultists are worried about. It's the subsection of new religious movements and others. That's the other thing that it doesn't do. It doesn't capture political movements, um, you know, multi-level marketing groups, all of the other things that fall into this other thing that we're worried about which is these high control coercively controlling totalistic type of organizations and arrangements mm. um and that so that's i think that's one of the big problems we end up arguing about these names when actually the easiest way to just organize that would be to say yep yeah, okay there's this group called new religious movements there's a subsection of that that is damaging they're the mm. ones that we're talking about. They're the ones that we're worried about. Um, I know this and it feels like yeah. common sense, but... <laughs> I, I don't think what I'm about to say is fair, but I, it's just something that came from my mind. I'm just going to say it and see <laughs> what you think about it. It's like, for an NRM to be of interest to study mm. for a sociological point, to me, I'm like, if it's of interest because they're doing such strange weird stuff if you know what i mean like oh it'd be interesting to study those people i just wonder how often that they are you know when does it cross the line from just as well it's just a fine innocuous nrm to like a cult and like are they concerned about that or are they just concerned about studying the weird sort of group if you know what i mean I, I think um, as a sociologist, I think what you're trying to say is, uh, would it be interesting if it wasn't um, damaging? I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think we, I think we need to separate that a little bit because, mm. um, yes, I think there'll always be academics interested in social groupings like religious movements, and that goes for big ones and small ones. So I think mm. you'll always have an interest in sociologists and um, you know ethnographers and so on trying to understand people's experience of religion whether whether that those beliefs are um what would one would say normal or uh not familiar but i i think so i don't i'm not sure that's quite but fair. it's specifically about and i'm talking about specifically about nrms i suppose like 
you know. I suppose the, the the fear, I guess. So let's let's try and be as charitable as we can. I, mm. I guess the fear is, is that um, there is a temptation to look at the slightly odd things that some of these groups do. Let's say let's say there's a group that um, everybody dresses in a in a, a red robe, mm-hmm. and they um, they walk around the town square with tambourines singing about their lord. And, um, you know, they, they all live in a commune somewhere and they, uh, you know, so they do odd things. Um, of course, there is going to be a temptation for anybody to say, well, this, these are just a load of people who have been brainwashed and this is ridiculous. And um, there's a problem with that. And the reason we're saying that is because it's the shock of something different and not not what we're used to but in a way that's kind of irrelevant you know if you look at any religious ceremony um whatever it is it's it has its own peculiarities so we shouldn't really judge um, these groups on whether we think their their ideas are weird or whether they do things that seem a bit weird in a sense that's that's we should remove that if we're trying to approach this from a scientific perspective, we should remove those prejudices we have because they're out of the norm and just, you know, study it for what it is and understand what it is. So I understand that. Um, and but, if that's as far yeah. as it went, then I think, yeah, but we, I think we would be okay people, with that. Surely. That, and that's the argument the other way. Yeah, like being like, oh, this is an enjoyable scientific exploration of people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, is all well and good but like do you not it's like you know when people are doing when they're doing documentaries of the animals and you're just watching it happen it's like you just gotta let it happen it's a, do we just have to let it happen with the people when it's people you know um well even know. that even that wouldn't be so bad i think the thing that then really uh, upsets and disturbs people who have a been in those religious groups mm and left and you know be uh studied these groups mm. and and appreciate some of the damage that they're doing is that the work so so one of the big characters in this is called eileen barker mm-hmm. eileen barker is a well-respected sociologist and she um, has written lots of works about this um, she's a very divisive figure within the community she is respected and um, she's delivering a presentation i believe at the same um place that i'm going to be doing one at the mm-hmm. international cultic studies association she's um so she's somebody that is uh, that's quoted regularly and the problem is is um her work is used quite regularly by mm. these groups to say look there's nothing to see here brainwashing isn't really a thing um and so their work, and it's not just Eileen Barker, it would be unfair for me to say it's just her. She's part of a tradition that is then used as a way to legitimize mm-hmm. um, religious groups or groups of, of those sorts that do things that I would argue are really unpleasant mm-hmm. um, and are, are, are problematic. And I think that's that's where um the the anger comes from it's the fact that it's used if if nobody read it if nobody cared then it probably wouldn't matter but it's mm. the fact that it's then used so um Eileen Barker wrote a book called The Making of a Mooney I think that was her first mm. piece of work 
Um, and I suppose, you know, she comes at this from a perspective where she, I'm not sure she's a, an ethnographer, but it's that tradition, I suppose, in that she's kind of immersing herself in it and she's she's learning about yeah. it. Um, but yes, if it was just a neutral thing, that would be fine in a way, but it's the fact that it's then used to say... Um, for instance, um, there's a book that I don't want to get into too much detail because I want to do a proper review of it, mm. and I'm only halfway through it at the moment. I bought it as an audio book, but I really need to buy it as a, a, mm. a text book because I need to, to mark it. Um, but she approached Eileen Barker in her work on cults. It's a book called Cultish, um, and she approached Eileen Barker, and there's a chapter in her book that, that again repeats this idea that brainwashing isn't really a thing. You know, it's not really, uh, it, it has very little evidence for it. Um, and of course, brainwashing is one of those things that I guess is associated with cults. Um, and and it, it then undermines other work that obviously talks about brainwashing and, and so on. So you, you have these, I guess, arguments over words, which is it is a problem, really. I think the, the issue for me is that it's like forgetting... It feels like a battle of, yeah, semantics and, and academia when there's actual people and their lives... One of the problems at, with that, yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's mm. not... I know it sounds dramatic, but, like, people die. Like, yeah. I yeah, think yeah. we have to... Children are abused. Um, mm. People are miserable. People are forced through like gay conversion therapy Mm. awful things happen and i think it's easy to say well we're not looking into that that's not what we're doing you know we're just academics we're doing that but if your work like you say can be used towards these ends i mean regardless make it i guess you have to make a choice but i think you should make a informed choice of what your work could be doing do you know what i mean like you are a scientist you're engaging in research but you need to consider what you're doing and Maybe they don't see it as their, their duty. Maybe they're like, well, this is well, what the, we're doing. The problem is, and, and I'm not speaking for Eileen Barker, who's the only name I've mentioned so far. Mm. I will try to be fair and mention other people's names. Um, so I'm not speaking about her particularly because I don't know. Somebody else might be able to help me with that. But I know that one of the criticisms which Zablocki talks about in his paper that I've mentioned at the front of this is that some of these um academics have been hired to give evidence at court um mm-hmm. into some of these issues and um so that that's a, that's an added problem mm-hmm. that you now have essentially on the one hand you've got and this is where a lot of these battles actually take place this is the these are the battlefields if if there's a war if there's a cult war the battlefield is often in the courtroom Mm. and you've got on the one deciding side if it's a cult or not yeah. well deciding if something you know is it should be um banned maybe or, or whether or something or... yeah or whether there's damages to pay for mm-hmm. for a, an organization that's done something or not done something and you end up with experts on both sides you know you end up with the anti-cult um representation on one side and you end up with the other side a sociologist or a, a religious um scholar who is actually saying that well no this is these are free will decisions that people are making 
Mm. Um, and and we know, we know from our own discussion of free will is how tricky that whole question mm-hmm. is. But in law, of course, what you're trying to do is you're trying to say, well, actually, the decision that this person made was open and free. They they made the decision themselves, and it's we cannot blame the organisation to which they are a part for doing it. Mm. And that that's that's where a lot of these arguments lie. You know, so mm-hmm. somebody who does something terrible. Um, in a way, we had a similar, we still got the similar question of people going off and joining Islamic states. You know, we had individuals from Europe, the UK, from North America joining ISIS and um, and then coming back. And now the question is, you know, well, what do we do with them? You know, do we uh, do we say that they were responsible for their actions or not responsible for their actions and it is a difficult question mm-hmm. but unfortunately with cults it's kind of we've ended up with the these two um opposing sides which actually all that all that does is it demonstrates the uh, the divisions um let me just read you a little so this is also available as, as a book written by eileen barker there is furthermore the complication of high turnover rates both the movements and their opponents tend to play down this characteristic of many of the better-known NRMs. On the one hand, few new religions are eager to publicise the fact that a sizable number of their members have found the movement wanting. On the other hand, anti-cultists, who are eager to defend the brainwashing thesis, do not wish to publicise the fact that the victims not only can, but do, of their own free will, leave those very NRMs that are accused of employing irresistible and irreversible techniques of mind control. So it's that last sentence, I think, that is the one that, I think that's the one that will enrage people. It's like, Um, so basically, if no one leaves, then it counts. And so it's like, okay, so... It just it it just speaks to someone. It to me it just I feel bad. I don't know. Like it is quite annoying. It, but it's like it just feels like someone that just doesn't care to try and understand. Mm. It feels like it feels standing above it all and looking down at these people. It feels like when we've talked about people that think people that join cults or stay in cults are just idiots. Do you know what I mean? It feels like mm. it feels like from that realm of of looking down and being like you know it doesn't feel like they've took time to really try and understand well, um i think how you, you know, can be controlled and coerced and how well, it takes argument, a lot of work to escape hmm, that but you the can. argument is uh, and this is this is again this is what montel says in her book cultish um, which is obviously drawing from this this sort of work the argument is a logical argument it's saying that if you're if you're telling me that there is such thing as brainwashing, where people are coerced into getting involved and staying in a group, if you're telling me this thing is so powerful, this thing is so real, then how come lots of people are leaving? That's the that's the argument. So I, I'm how happy come to lots have that. Of people argument. are staying. Do you know, it's the other side. Lots of people, yeah, some people yeah. leave. 
But lots of people are stuck. Why are why but are there the, loads of people stuck? The problem the problem as I see it is that it's it's straw manning the whole question it of is. brainwashing. Because actually, as far as I'm aware, nobody is and I've had a, this act. Uh, this argument actually on Twitter, uh, which I don't generally do because I try to avoid arguments on Twitter. Mm, it's just they too, don't go anywhere. too hopeless. But um, I did on this occasion engage in a in a brief discussion. Um, but the the problem is, as far as I'm aware, nobody certainly these days claims that brainwashing is irreversible no. or that it's impossible to leave of um, course some yeah. will and, and some do it's the regular i mean we talk about it all the time um certain things i don't have to be reminded a true constantly like that the earth is round i don't need someone just i don't need a regular three day at three day a week meeting to say the earth is round the earth is round the earth is round mm. there's a reason that they regularly keep on top of you being like this is the truth this is the truth this is the truth it takes regular top-ups and things like that and like they have methods of keeping you in you know that's why people you know there was the whole thing about oh if you leave to a different congregation where you don't speak the language you might fall away because you won't understand <laughs> and yeah. you'll just be allowed to think other things for a bit <laughs> you know or like the <sighs> Yeah, it's just like, it just felt like they were like, ah, yes, we look at that undeniable proof. <laughs> They've not even tried to build something actually like unbreakable to prove that. They've just sort of gone, see, I'm, mind control the, can't be real. The thing that um, that you sort of alluded to previously is is as, as well important that, yes, you know, even if half of all people who come in leave, that still leaves you with 50% of people believing something that's often very, very strange and very, very against their own interests. So you still got to account for how come that even that is a big number of people that are staying within a belief system that is actually very difficult to justify and is not in their own interests. So, you know, you have, I think it's important and that in a way is probably where, a psychologist approaches it as opposed to a sociologist, you know, so the, the psychologist is interested in this group who are staying um, all, you know, it's not a hundred percent, but it's still a big enough percentage of people to say something interesting is happening here. We need to understand these psychological concepts that are going on and that are meaning that people don't feel able to, to leave. I think there's a, there's another thing I just wanted to say as well, which is is really important. Um, Zablocki makes this point mm. in his paper over and over again. And that is that the way that brainwashing has been kind of twisted is that people think that brainwashing is something that happens in recruitment. But that's not the way that brainwashing was described by Lifton or thought reform. It was It was actually about how you keep somebody in yeah of course so it's not about the the recruitment process it's about how you make it very very difficult for somebody to leave and you do that through all the things that we've talked about many times on this on this program and you know take your pick of authors mm-hmm. um Stephen hassan margaret singer rick allen ross um alexandra stein jan yalalich these these authors talk about the same thing about a systematic way of essentially keeping you within a controlling system and Mm. it's not mysterious so the other 
the other thing that I think has happened is that yeah, making it, it sound gets, like it's voodoo or something. Exactly, it's, it's been associated with. Well, we better not say that because that's um, uh, voodoo is not what people think voodoo is. But anyway, let's mm. come back to that. Um, <laughs> but it's not magic. It's not something so hard to understand. No, it's Actually, not. It's, it's power. fairly it's simple. Control. It's simple. It is. Yeah. We've got lots of experiments that are not about cults that show you how you can be controlled and manipulated. I mean, do they not think? I mean, it's like saying, it's like saying they're like abusive relationships. Lots of people leave abusive relationships. So the people that are still in abusive relationships just want to be there. That's right. There's no, no such don't. thing as an abusive relationship because because some people manage to, to get out of it. Well, that's ridiculous. Oh, okay then. It? I guess we just blame all the victims then. The, mm. But that this is what I mean. I don't think they see the people that are stuck then as victims. They're like, oh, they want to be there. Well, uh, you know, that's the logical conclusion that but one they, has to come to, isn't it? But like maybe some people do, but you can't objectively say that when people are being coerced, controlled, forced to be there. And just that's because right. they're not shackled physically doesn't mean that you are not mentally shackled. Just because you weren't locked in a room and starved and, you know, put through literal torture doesn't mean that you weren't mentally abused. You know, like yeah. telling you that you'll not have your family yeah. is is a, is a mode of control you know, telling you that the way that you think or feel about like the same sex if you're gay is is evil and bad. These are all forms of control, reforming who you are, making you be a different person. I mean, like we talked about the JWs, they literally say put on the new personality. I don't know that's what's right. more clear than that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's right. And um, Zablocki uh, makes some some really good points in this um in this paper he he um again so we what we're saying is that often the idea of cults and brainwashing is strawmanned in that you they mm-hmm. set up a an argument that is weak so they can knock it down you know yeah. and that's that's what's happening a lot of the time i think with these um these arguments mm-hmm. um Zablocki is is quite clear from his point of view what what brainwashing is about i'm going to read a couple of bits of paragraphs from this paper and again i really recommend if you're interested in this subject this is an absolute must read Mm. i'll I'll put the um the full details on the show notes but it is an absolute must must read it's well written and it's pretty accessible actually in terms of its language Um, he says the core hypothesis this is about brainwashing is that under certain circumstances an individual can be subject to persuasive influences so overwhelming that they actually restructure one's core beliefs and worldview and profoundly modify one's self-conception. Mm-hmm. He then goes on. The more radical sort of persuasion posited by the brainwashing conjecture, conjecture utilises extreme stress and disorientation along with ideological enticement to create a conversion experience that persists for some time after the stress and pressure have been removed. Mm -hmm. The brainwashing conjecture attempts to explain the lifestyle modifications of an NRM participant as the behavioural result of an intensely focused and highly structured process of manipulative influence. Now that is something that I think we can all understand is happening and it doesn't need to be a physical beating it doesn't need to be physical threats. It no. can, of course, as you said, be the threat of losing one's friends and family mm-hmm. forever by being shunned or disfellowshipped. And yeah, it, it's it, 
for me, that's really, really clear. This doesn't invoke anything mysterious. This is about using techniques that convince people of something Mm -hmm. and then set up a situation where they find it very, very difficult to leave. And sure, they, if you ask them, they might say, yeah, I'm, I'm here of my own accord. But when you talk to them later, they'll explain it. Once they leave, they'll explain their thinking at the time and, and how misled they were. Yeah. It's like, you know, we've talked about um, women in their position before. So it's like, um, you might really want to do certain things and be like a really powerful, you know, sort of independent woman that, you know, takes lead and does things, but you can't. And you know that if you become too much like that and you make too much noise and you're too um, leadership based or, you know, making too much, you know, trying to push into quote unquote male roles or spheres, that that could endanger your position in the, in so like your personality, you're adapting your personality to fit the group and then yeah. when you finally leave you can be different i mean does that not c- come into this like adapting who you are changing who you are mm. being you know quote unquote to use the word brainwashed to be like a certain version of womanhood because that's what you know they want of you because of you know potential ramifications if not yeah just because you'd say at the time oh of no course. this is good because yeah. this is what women are meant to be like right. and i'm just you know maybe I, I feel inclinations towards that but that's bad and not good um and mm. so i'm gonna not do it but obviously when you leave you're like no that was stupid i don't want to do that but then why are they not talking to people that do leave and hearing their stories or are they well, just being like can, can we put a pen in that because i want to talk about that's a, another really important element actually this mm. whole discussion mm-hmm. and it's one that that infuriates a lot of people yeah. i want to i want to quote our friend chris um shelton on this because he mm-hmm. he has a lot of really mm-hmm. interesting things to mm-hmm. say actually um there's there's um there's a lovely little summary at the end of this paper and this is the last bit i'll kind of mm-hmm. rip from oh, this wonderful Zablocki. piece of work but i must um, do this in summary then says Zablocki. Brainwashing is to be understood as nothing more than an orchestrated process of ideological conversion that takes its subjects through a well-defined sequence of social psychological stages. To be considered brainwashing, this process must result in a effects that persist for a significant amount of time after the orchestrated manipulative stimuli are removed and b an accompanying dread of disaffiliation which makes it extremely difficult for the subject to even contemplate life apart from the group and this is it there is nothing in the definition to imply that brainwashing is easy to accomplish is always effective or impossible to resist and that's absolutely right isn't it the fact that it doesn't always work and that people leave does not diminish the fact that it is a thing that does happen yeah and and i would like to add to that my own personal observations so as as you know i was raised in a group um but i have seen many many people come to meetings as normal people wearing jeans Maybe their hair was a bit long if they were a man, you know, mm-hmm. um, compared piercings, to the other witnesses whatever. in there. Maybe Hair-hands, some piercings, yeah. yeah. The woman's, uh, maybe they've come as a couple and the woman there is, and they're not married. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've seen these people. I've seen these people come as perhaps young people, uh, a Bible study, 
coming to the meeting for the first time. I've helped with the love bombing. Of course, I didn't know what it was then, but if somebody new came, you'd always go and say hello. Hello, I'm Stephen. Really nice to see you here. Um, you know, and you'd ask them about themselves and you'd mm-hmm. be so thrilled that they were here and you'd see them again the next meeting. And that was wonderful. You'd love bomb them again mm-hmm. a bit more. Um, and if they were young, you might invite the guy to come and play football on the Sunday because uh, we used to play football on the Sunday. And you try and get them into get you know get to know each other. You'd invite them to a get together or two and you'd sort of try to get them involved. And then you start to notice the changes. He'd cut his hair a bit. He'd start he'd buy a suit, maybe put a tie on for the first time. Um, the, the woman would start to dress slightly differently. And then they'd talk about getting married. And then some of the things that they used to do, like smoking, they'd stop smoking. And then you'd see them on the ministry for the first time because they'd been approved of going on the ministry. And that was really exciting. And you'd see them change before your very eyes. Um, And this is some of the the changes that you would see, you would actually think were good. So maybe they, you know, they were involved in drugs or they were involved in criminality. And all of a sudden they stopped. And you think, well, that's wonderful, isn't it? But you'd also, if you were a relative of those people, you'd see a different side too. You'd see that they'd stop associating with you. You'd see that they have strange beliefs about the end of the world. Mm -hmm. They try to convert you to come along to the meetings and to believe the same things that they believed. They stop celebrating Christmas with you. They'd stop celebrating birthday with birthdays with you. Um, If they were in need of a blood transfusion, they'd refuse that. So you're seeing this change in the individual. I've seen it with my very own eyes. language changes. You start to talk like everybody else does. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, you stop, like maybe she used to um, have her own business. um, Yeah. But, you know, maybe she gives that up so that she can, you know, go work for somebody else as a cleaner. So she's got more time for ministry. <laughs> you see all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So, and, and by no means are Jehovah's Witnesses the most extreme. I don't think anybody no. claims they are, but, but you're seeing that massive change in somebody's personality and it, it really is there. You can, you can see it. Um, so yeah, call it what you like. I mean, brainwashing, thought reform, um, totalitarian though it's not dangerous but it's there, isn't it? yeah yeah call it what you like but don't pretend that it isn't dangerous that it doesn't leave people in vulnerable situations yeah don't don't pretend it's just oh people have some strange beliefs don't all you know so like, what what about the the levers why yeah. why do are they, they not, not lifting do they not listening? care about them do they not or do they think yeah. that they don't count <laughs> Yes, is the answer to that. You've asked the right question. The answer is yes, they think they don't count. Um, and they think they don't count because they they have an axe to grind. They've left. So they're now embittered apostates. And the very word so apostate... on their side. They, it, I'm sorry, but mm. they just feel like they're 100% on their side. Mm. They, they stand there on their side in court. If this is to be a war, then they're on the side of, of... They are on their side. They're happy to stand on their corner at court. They're happy to join in with apostate talk. They don't care that people have been... You know, it, it feels like they don't care about the abuses because 
they're just talking about it because they've left. It's, 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 it's just at at least disappointing at worst. I would say morally wrong. I think it's morally wrong. (laughs) Yeah. It's, um, I, I, yeah, it, it is, it is upsetting, I think, as well. It means that people like me, for instance, um, if we are to accept this idea, and I've, I have seen this repeated again on Twitter by people who claim to be cult experts, that you can't really, you can't really listen to people who have left to apostates because they're not objective. Um, then why listen which, to victims of abuses anyway? They're not indeed. objective. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Obviously, she's gonna, you know, say that he's her ex, and she's just. It just feels like when people are like, "Oh, women are crazy." Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, exes, ex girlfriends. You can't listen to them. They say crazy things about their ex. Do you know, it's like, you know, and you know that's that trope that the the crazy ex. Oh, don't listen to him. He's, you know, it's just because she left him. He's crazy. <laughs> like, like, oh, they're just embittered. They don't have, they don't count, their feelings don't count, the abuses they face don't count. Yeah, um, so there's a there's an article that um, I, I recommend to everybody listening. It's um, on Tony Ortega's website, tonyortega.org. Tony Ortega is a well-known um, reporter or investigative journalist, I suppose, into particularly Scientology. Um, and his website is actually quite a good resource to to have a look at um but chris shelton who was a guest on our show last year he's written a a piece about this subject which is uh, obviously uh, it's a it's a long piece i can't read it all but um one of the things he talks about is a uh a, a conference going back not that long ago actually where was it to 2018 uh he attended a a, a a conference of the British Association for the Study of Religions. Um, and there was like a podcast there with four religious study scholars. Mm. Um, they did a, a podcast for that. David G. Robertson um, from the OU. Um, Carol M. Kuzak from the University of Sydney. Stephen Gregg, Senior Lecturer in Religious Studies at the University of Wolverhampton. And Alad thomas a phd candidate at the open university so they were doing this kind of um podcast and they were talking about how can we move the study of scientology forward um academic work is largely stuck in a cultic paradigm focused on charismatic leadership antisocial and criminal activity and even brainwashing narratives um, yeah, Scientology seems exclusively to be considered fair game, pun intended, for ridicule and criticism among new religious movements. I won't read the whole thing, but basically what they're saying is because of these, in fact, they do call them noisy um, uh, levers, essentially. These are people who are um, noisy and uh, constantly criticizing that they can't get their academic work done. Oh, boo-hoo. <laughs> it's such a shame standing upon your tall hill looking down yeah do you know what i mean like oh boohoo you know um, oh we shouldn't they're being noisy and trying to make sure that their human mm. rights aren't abused Ugh, what a, what a pain in my academic side yeah um 
I can't find the um, the, the sentence now. But one one of the other problems they mentioned was um, that uh, that Scientology is often has been very difficult to research because they essentially don't always tell you the truth, and they're very litigious. Um, and then they talk about these noisy exes who make life difficult to get any you know decent research done and that the point that um that chris makes is what what how ridiculous um you could talk to those quote unquote noisy people with yeah. all of this knowledge that you just don't care for because it's not your knowledge oh here we mm. go that's it here we go um so kuzak says well there are two things again one is that scientology kept very close control on any academic that was anywhere near them and the academics were aware that they could not only be sued but personally harassed and their families and people that they cared about could get into trouble so very little was ever published because even people who did oh. projects on Scientology generally didn't want to risk putting them in the public eye. So were they being controlled? But, oh. but the second thing, which I think is equally important, is that some of the very some of the noisy ex-members actually did a great service themselves by publishing, and they mentioned John Atak is the obvious example, mm. since A Piece of Blue Sky came out, his book, very, mm. very early in the conversation, conversation really but he is part of now a kind of global network of ex-members who accuse new religious movement scholars of being cult apologists if they say anything good about any religion and as as chris says this is a an odd attitude so they're criticizing people who are revealing the actual things that are happening in that organization they're criticizing them but they're not saying a word really about the yeah. The problem that academics are being threatened by Scientology. It's it's just bewildering. To be honest, the thing that's really getting me is just the audacity. My brain just keeps being like, the audacity. Like, yeah. it's so audacious. It's ridiculous. I've not as, met As Chris someone. said, one can only stand in awe at the gaping stupidity of this situation. It is. It's like... It's so stupid. It's like it. Fe- it does feel like you're like, oh, would you like some help? And they're like, no, I want to do it myself. And it's like, okay, child, I'll leave you to it then. Like, go on. It, it's <laughs> it's very it's very odd that you know you have you have a source of data which, well of, of course, of course, that shouldn't be the only source of data you go to. And, and I think everybody would acknowledge that you need the rounded research. And academics are not investigative reporters but if you're if you're putting yourself up there as a piece of work that is describing a sociological phenomenon and you are refusing to take seriously the people that have actually experienced it whilst acknowledging that the the people in charge of these organizations keep information very close to their chest and Mm. will sue you and threaten you and your family yeah, it's very, it's very, very strange. It's so confusing. Well, it's like, it's like when you listen to people though talking about, um, it's it's like if you were having a conversation about sexism and you weren't talking to women, or if you're having a conversation about racism and you just would, it was just a bunch of white people. Like it just, it's just stupid. It's like you, they're out there, mate. You could talk to them. They'd love to talk, but you've just created a, an an enemy of them instead, mm. using you know being derogatory calling them noisy and being a bit petty to be honest and quite like i said audacious to be like yeah we don't 
that they're what they have to say is irrelevant you know this idea that they don't matter what they have to say because obviously they've got an axe to grind but we'll find the proper truth in all this it's like okay all right. Yeah, it's um, it's it's kind of frustrating. So, um, having said, we I guess we wanted to try and be even-handed at the beginning. I, don't I feel know. like really, um, I don't. I think it's we, hard to do that. We've I don't not think that's been able possible. to because it is so frustrating. I suppose that the only thing I will say that um, I think I've I've identified myself as somebody who actually has only started to be in this space, this area of being interested in in cults high control groups and so on mm-hmm. in over the last sort of four or five years at most actually yeah. is that um there is a that is still a lack of um robust scientific uh research into a lot of this stuff but that's yeah. not just because of cults that's actually a problem with social psychology yeah. as a whole but this is one of our yeah. problems we have these these concepts i mean one of the concepts that um is related to cults is this idea of charismatic leadership for instance mm. we are still arguing about what that means and if it is a real thing or not you know and so it's, it's actually like quite said, difficult it's the born in joining conversation yeah. again which is really yeah. important because I mean, they're not, she's like, well, hardly, you know, let's say half leave, right? The turnover mm. period. What is the turnover? Is the turnover higher in people that were born in or is the turnover higher yeah. in people that joined? If yeah. it's um, if it's higher in people that joined, well, then this to, then that's something to research. If it's higher in people that are born in, that's something to research. It's not to say, well, it all doesn't matter because half the people leave. So free will is proven. It's like the conversation of free will has got to be different for people that were born into this and told what their free will was versus people yeah. that experienced free will before Absolutely. and joined in. Those are very different conversations and yeah. should be treated as such. Absolutely. To say that half the people leave, which people? Why do they leave? Do you, mm. you don't care, though, because you said that what they have to say doesn't matter. But mm. why they leave surely is very important to understanding free will, what leads to that, and who's staying and why they're staying, not yeah. just because they fancied staying and it's mm. not harmful, actually. Mm. I've, it is harmful. Things are going on. We need to understand it. You don't just get to go, and the book is closed now. Mm. I mean, if the point of research is you're constantly trying to proper science is try, is is coming up with a theory and doing your best to disprove yourself. And if you can't, then you know you're right. You don't just get to pat yourself on the back and be like, oh, I'm very good and clever. <laughs> No, I mean, I think, um, as I say, just going back to, to my point about the, the scientific robustness, uh, it's it's actually very difficult to explore these uh, social issues and social phenomena and psychological phenomena because they are so much in situation, you know. So, mm-hmm. you, you and you you can't ethically put somebody in a an environment where you observe how you can manipulate them brainwash them i mean the closest we get to that is zimbardo's work and and so on um and you know that would never be allowed to happen now so we have a um we have a challenge when it comes to good scientific robust uh quantitative work um but it's that's just just the nature of the beast really but and that doesn't mean we just don't do it you know it's gonna be hard yeah but we've got to do it and i think Like I said, really big thing for me is knowing, yeah, there is a turnover. I'm not pretending there isn't. But I want to know who is leaving. 
I think that's really important. But once they're gone, they're not interacting with it. And that, that to me, is a failing on this as an area of study. Absolutely. And, um, well, related to that is the, is the born in versus the... Exactly, that's what I mean. Because um, yeah, yeah. I've got to wonder... You know, if I was, if I, someone gave me N money and the education required to do this, I, my big question, my hypothesis would be that I think born-ins are more likely to stay in and that joiners might be your bigger proportion leaving. Hmm. That's something I'd have to study. I have no evidence, I have no, but that, yeah. you know, you come up yeah. with a question, hmm. that would be mine, hmm. you know, hmm. is I think the it might be a high proportion of people with a previous life to return to that leave. Mm. But I mean, but maybe not. I mean, a lot of the people but that we talked to on the podcast were born in, but, um, you know, I don't know if, if there's so many things going on. You don't know if the people that talk about and do podcasts like we do and create this kind of content and do all of this, maybe a larger proportion of those ones are born in than, than joiners because they feel more yeah. of a need uh, it, to do this content there's so many it's big a questions question. yeah yeah there's, there's a lot there's of so intersecting um questions the idea and... to not that that wouldn't be mm. exciting to work all this out mm. and like would be mm. important and good for these people and like why wouldn't you want to do this do you know what i mean like what what's the agenda what's yeah. what's why do they not want to do this do you know what i mean like well zablocki um and i i can't comment on this because i don't know anything about it really but zablocki um in his work and we probably should draw, draw it to a close but um his words on this is he says i know there will be great resistance to opening this can of worms but i do not think there is any choice this is an issue that is slowly but surely building towards a public scandal so this was back in uh, late 90s it would be far better to deal with ourselves within the discipline than to have others expose it i'm not implying that it is necessarily wrong to accept funding from interested parties mm. whether pro or anti but i do think there needs to be some more public accounting of where the money is coming from and what safeguards have been taken to assure that this money is not interfering with scientific objectivity 100 percent so there is a suggestion there that actually at the heart of it is is an industry and and often the um the people who are against the the anti-cult group is that they accuse um people who are anti-cult of having their own industry but i would you know the the suggestion there is that actually there is a there is a quite a lucrative industry of yeah. appearing as an expert witness um... source-based analysis mm. you've always got to consider bias and agenda mm. why is someone making this what you know like yeah maybe they're just it's their area of interest but why this study why this yeah. court case why this, where's the money coming from to actually do the research yeah. you know mm. what are their previous links with this person you know what where have we gotten to <laughs> and, and I'm, we're not suggesting that all of the work that's been done by the people we've mentioned today, you know, are somehow no, being done, not. funded by these but groups. Got, like, that's not what no. we're saying. Because I, honestly, I have absolutely no idea, no, no but reason what I'm to saying, believe that. No, what I'm saying is just generally, you've always got to consider agenda. And I'm just like, what yes. is the what is the agenda of not talking to ex-religious movement people? ex-court members what is the agenda of not well i i think part of it is um it is in a way what we're seeing now in lots of areas which is that people end up in their their 
corners and it is really really difficult to then have a, an open and yeah. um, good faith discussion mm-hmm. and you, you know you, you end up with so much bitterness and I've seen and heard it I've been quite shocked by it actually it's not something I expected when no. I came into this uh, this area um, I, I have been genuinely shocked um, at the, the the vociferous nature of mm. this war and the you know, still, it's still there. You know, you can still still see it, which is a shame. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, for me, you know, the thing about quote unquote noisy. I will. We will wrap up soon. <laughs> uh, the thing about being noisy is this idea that maybe, you know, using it in a derogatory way, maybe people wouldn't have to be noisy if you were listening to them. Well, that's probably a good place to to end yeah. it i think that's a really nice nice mm-hmm. final phrase yeah. yeah well thank you i think that that was more passionate and more interesting for want of a better word yeah. than than even i expected really <laughs> um so yeah thank you for that discussion yeah, yeah. Um, thank you sorry if i got you, too rageful but no hope it, you've enjoyed that yeah. uh, listeners and you found that interesting there's lots of interesting stuff around this um, i'll put some links in the in the show notes for everything we've talked about today i think pretty much everything i've talked about you can access so mm-hmm. um yeah yeah thank you for listening thank don't forget you. to like and subscribe yeah it feels weird to do this after today's episode <laughs> i don't know leave us a review tell me if you enjoy angry celine <laughs> well, we had angry dad uh last time so uh, yeah, or yeah. previous time on my yeah. birthday so. yeah right okay thank you very much bye bye what Should I Think About is an Evil Sheep production. 